48K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. The headlines. Chief Executive Carrie Lam accuses the Exams Authority of a professional mistake over a controversial history question. The Secretary for Labour and Welfare says there's no reason to be too positive about the unemployment rate that will be announced this afternoon. And President Trump threatens a freeze in funding for the World Health Organization. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has accused the Exams Authority of a professional mistake over a history question in the Diploma of Secondary Education exams. Despite demands from the Education Bureau to scrap the test, Mrs Lam denied there'd been political interference, but said she wouldn't hesitate to use her powers to rein in the controversy if necessary. The Examinations and Assessment Authority hasn't yet decided whether to invalidate the question, which asked whether Japan did more good than harm in China between 1900 and 1945. Speaking before the weekly Executive Council meeting, Mrs Lam said the collapse of education is the collapse of a nation, a quote widely attributed to former South African President Nelson Mandela. She was asked whether it was appropriate to quote a freedom fighter when the government appeared to be cracking down on education. I thought I am at liberty to quote distinguished people in impressing upon um, people of Hong Kong how much uh, importance we attach to education. Because if education is done wrongly, its damages and severe consequences are really beyond imagination. Education sector lawmaker Ipkin Yoon says the chief executive has pressured the exam authority into scrapping the controversial history paper question by saying she won't rule out intervening in the incident. He said Carrie Lam should respect the examinations and assessment authority's decision because they are professional. Whether this is a good professional decision, whether this is a good professional exam question, it should be treated with facts and proper arguments. Is not supposed to be treated by the purely use of power. So I don't think that the uh, Carrie Lam is making a fair comment. If she is going to solve the problem, I think she should follow the proper procedure to allow the Education Bureau to talk to you, to communicate with the Examination and Assessment Authority. Secretary General of the Examinations and Assessment Authority, So Kwok Sang, has said the Chief Executive has the power to issue general directions to the body and it has to follow any instruction. He said the authority's members were still discussing what to do with the question to ensure students receive a fair and objective assessment. Meanwhile, the Chief Executive Carrie Lam has rejected suggestions that the government was giving priority to a controversial national anthem law so it could pass before the end of the current LegCo term. She said the bill had been unable to resume its second reading because LegCo's House Committee was unable to elect a chairman following months of filibustering by the pan-democratic camp. Yesterday, the pro-establishment camp elected a chair for the House Committee following chaotic scenes in LegCo in the face of fierce opposition from the pan-democrats. Mrs Lamb said the bill could now have its second reading and that it was normal for it to have priority. This is the first priority bill in terms of the chronology of events. So there isn't even a subjective assessment. It is just in accordance with the chronology of events because it has completed its scrutiny a year ago. Whereas other bills ready for resumption of second reading were only completed much later. So I don't understand why for doing such a proper thing that uh, the administration needs to apologize. 
Um, Mrs Lamb has dismissed a criticism of a report written by the Independent Police Complaints Council on the police's handling of anti-government process, saying the public should view it fairly. British academic Clifford Stott, who was hired by the police's watchdog as an advisor, had cited a quote by George Orwell and criticised the reporters delivering the new truth. But Mrs Lamb said Mr Stott had only been in Hong Kong for around 10 days and that he might not have a full grasp of the truth. Meanwhile, the chairman of the IPCC's Publicity and Survey Committee has been repeatedly grilled on a radio programme about the report's objectivity. Afterwards, he spoke to reporters. The IPCC ordinance has been in place for over 10 years now. And uh, whether it's time to review it, to look at it with a fresh mind, in light of the changing sort of social circumstances, I'm having an open mind. The Secretary for Labour and Welfare, Lochi Kwong, has said there's no reason to be too positive about the unemployment rate that will be announced this afternoon. He said in the worst case scenario, it could be as high as 5%. In addition to a government subsidy to encourage employers to retain staff, Mr Law was asked whether there would be measures to help those who've already lost their jobs. For the government, definitely we have to look at the macro situation and see how the economy has developed in the coming days. And if there is any need for additional measures that the government should take, then definitely the government will seriously consider it. Founding chairman of the Liberal Party, Alan Lee, has died at the age of 80. An obituary issued by his wife and family said the veteran politician had passed away peacefully last Friday and that his last wish was for a private funeral. In addition to being a member of the Legislative Council between 1978 and 1997, Mr Lee also sat on the Executive Council from 1986 to 1992. Following his retirement from politics, he became an active commentator and hosted various talk shows, including RTHK's Legical Review, until two years ago. Local deputies to China's parliament and its top advisory body have set off to Shenzhen where they'll be tested for COVID-19 before flying to Beijing on Thursday to attend the annual MPC and CPPCC sessions. One of them, Ma Feng Kwok, told reporters that delegates' whereabouts will be strictly monitored in the capital and they won't be allowed to meet people freely. Mr Ma said he believes this year's two meetings would discuss disease prevention and boosting economic development. President Trump has renewed his attack on the World Health Organization over its response to the initial coronavirus outbreak in China. He said it had given terrible advice. I think they've done a very sad job in the last period of time. And again, the United States uh, pays them $450 million a year. China pays them $38 million a year. And they're a puppet of China. They're uh, China-centric, to put it nicer, but they're a puppet of China. Mr. Trump suspended Washington's $400 million annual contribution to the WHO weeks ago. He confirmed he was considering a permanent reduction. President Trump says he's taking an anti-malarial drug as a precaution against the new coronavirus. Mr. Trump, who's tested negative several times, said he'd been taking hydroxychloroquine as a preventive measure. The president made his surprise announcement at a news conference at the White House. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. When? Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. A lot of doctors take it. 
His comments come several weeks after the Food and Drug Administration issued a public warning against the drug, saying there was no proof it was effective and could cause heart problems. Meanwhile, the U.S. Health Secretary Alex Asner has rebuked the World Health Organization's response to the coronavirus pandemic, accusing it of costing many lives by failing to provide information the world needed. Without directly naming China, Mr. Azar said the WHO hadn't give complete information. In an apparent attempt to conceal this outbreak, at least one member state made a mockery of their transparency obligations with tremendous cost for the entire world. We saw that WHO failed at its core mission of information sharing and transparency when member states do not act in good faith. The agency's Director General Tedros Adnom Ghebreyesus said they had sounded the alarm early and often. U.S. biotech firm, among those leading global efforts to find a COVID-19 vaccine, has reported positive results in its first clinical trial involving a small number of volunteers. Moderna said its vaccine produced antibodies that could neutralize the virus. Here's the BBC's Naomi Grinley. Moderna was the first company to test an experimental vaccine in people. After administering low, middle and high doses, the researchers found that even people taking the lowest dose had antibodies at the same level of patients who'd recovered from COVID-19. For those on the middle dose, antibodies significantly exceeded those in recovered patients. These are still early results from just a small group of people, but larger trials will begin in July. The ride-hailing company Uber has announced it's laying off another 3,000 people. 45 offices will also be closed, as the BBC's Zoe Thomas. Earlier this month, the company said it would be letting go of 3,700 workers as it tries to save $1 billion. The combined layoffs mean Uber is losing nearly a quarter of its global staff. This round of layoffs focuses on long-term bets for Uber, including the development of self-driving cars and a freight service. Not included in those cuts? Drivers. Uber considers them private contractors, not employees. But many of them have lost nearly all of their income during the coronavirus pandemic, as lockdown measures have prevented people from traveling. France and Germany have proposed a European recovery fund that would distribute more than half a trillion dollars in grants, not loans, to the countries and sectors worst affected by coronavirus. It represents a significant shift in Germany's position. Chancellor Angela Merkel said the European Commission would raise money on the markets to be repaid gradually from the EU's budget. She said Europe would emerge stronger. We know that the impact of the virus on our countries is different and that that means there's a danger that the economic effects of the virus threaten the cohesion of the European Union. So the recovery fund has to help ensure that all states in Europe can react appropriately. Short time ago, the Hang Seng Index was at 24,414. That's 487 points up on the previous close. Turnover stands at $72 billion. Currencies, the US dollar is trading at 107.39 yen. The euro stands at 1 US dollar and 9 cents. And the pound is worth 9 Hong Kong dollars and 45 cents. Sport now, and here's Adam Chung. We start with cricket. The use of saliva to polish a ball is set to be banned. It's part of the changes to regulations recommended by the International Cricket Council during the COVID-19 pandemic. The BBC's Shoujo Saka reports. 
players are likely to be banned from using saliva to shine the ball by the International Cricket Council when the sport resumes, but the application of sweat will still be allowed. The governing body's uh, cricket committee heard medical advice that suggests it is highly unlikely coronavirus can be transmitted through sweat, but there is an elevated risk through saliva. The recommendations, which also suggest the use of home umpires, will be presented for approval in early June. Football clubs in the English Premier League have agreed to stage one of the return to training protocols, meaning from today, players can train together in small groups. The BBC's Ian Dennis has more. This first stage enables squads to train while maintaining social distancing. Contact training isn't yet permitted, but this stage has been agreed with players, managers, Premier League club doctors, independent experts and the government. Newcastle United, for instance, have revealed players and staff will arrive at pre-arranged times staggered in groups of no more than 10 and training will be in working groups of no more than five. Players will arrive in their training kit, they will park at least three metres apart and then head straight out onto the field. The Premier League has always maintained health and well-being is their priority and this is the first steps for a possible return on the 18th of June. The former England goalkeeper Rob Green believes some players will still have concerns about returning to action despite assurances over safety. With the pay, with, with the numbers that are involved for the clubs and stuff like that, there's going to be a lot of pressure. It comes back to the same old thing that the players, you know, they get paid so much. It's not really an argument. It, it's down to the individual and it's whether they get paid, whatever figure it is, if they're not comfortable going out on the pitch and, and doing it, then because they're fearful for their safety, they're fearful for their family's safety, it's difficult to argue against that. In Germany, Bayer Leverkusen cruised to a 4-1 win over Werder Bremen. The Bundesliga has now completed its first full round of fixtures after competition resumed. Players did their part to follow the safety guidelines, although some of Leverkusen's players had clustered together after their team scored the first goal in Werder's empty stadium. The league had recommended celebrations of minimal physical contact. Kai Havertz scored twice for Leverkusen, who are now unbeaten in six league games and are closing in on the Champions League places. Werder remains stuck in the relegation zone. And as you look at sports... And to end the news, the top stories once again. Chief Executive Carrie Lam accuses the exams authority of a professional mistake over a controversial history question. The Secretary for Labour and Welfare says there's no reason to be too positive about the unemployment rate that will be announced this afternoon. And President Trump threatens, to, threatens a freeze in funding for the World Health Organization. And that's the news from RTHK.
Afternoon and welcome to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday, the nineteenth of May, is today's date. Many thanks sir, to Phil for the morning brew today, and we do have a busy program. Just after half past one, we're going to be hearing about the Dear Hong Kong Project. Uh, which is a book and also a website which highlights the diversity of Hong Kong and also featuring different inspiring people and their personal stories that break existing stereotypes. Basically, your everyday Hong Kong heroes. And we'll be chatting uh, to the people behind the project, Oscar Vallis and also Aggie Lam and Bradley Aaron, along with Olivia Millier. Um, that will be just after half past one. And uh, after two o'clock, we'll be chatting with a uh, food Food and drink reporter Andrew Dambina once again uh, for the latest food and drink news update. And uh, finally, uh, the last bit of the today's one, two, three show, um, as we heard about the sad passing of uh, veteran politician Alan Lee, 